Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. This next lesson from God's word is gonna serve as the basis for our sermon this morning. It comes from John chapter 21. We're gonna read the first 14 verses. I wanna invite you to open up your Bibles and devices to John chapter 21. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we are walking our way through a sermon series that is covering the entire gospel of John. A lot of people call chapters 20 and 21 the epilogue to the Gospel of John. An epilogue, you know, is a, is a part at the end of the book that offers commentary on, on what you just read. In a sense, this is the commentary on Easter. This is showing us, this is telling us what life with the resurrected Christ is all about. This is John chapter 21. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the, on the shore but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat toward uh, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the gospel of your Lord. You may be seated. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation and the thoughts of our hearts and minds, may all of these be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
just one more. Just one more shot, just one more opportunity. And no, this isn't my attempt at the pretty well-known Eminem rap song, but it is the soundtrack to my life in so many different ways, being the father of two toddlers. Just one more. My wife and I give our two little boys a dessert after dinner. As soon as they finish it, what do they say? Mom, can I have one more? We go play basketball in the living room on the little tykes hook before we go up for bed. And I say, guys, it's time to go, time to get ready for bed. Dad, can I just have one more shot? We'll go upstairs. We read stories before bedtime. And then it's lights out. Dad, just one more, just one more book. Just one more. But it's not just little kids. It's me too. I think to myself, if I, if I just cross off one more to-do on my to-do list, then, then I'll be accomplished. If I just spend maybe one more hour working on this, then, then it'll be just right and everybody will notice. If I have just one more day of vacation, one more hour of sleep, well, then I'll be rested. Just one more. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been desperate, desperate for just one more? Maybe it's just one more client, just one more sale, just one more day of overtime, then that'll be enough. Maybe it's just one more day with the kids, one more day with the grandkids, then, then I'll be better. Maybe it's just one more promotion, one more certification, one more degree, and then I'll be able to have the job of my dreams, and then, then I'll be able to live my purpose. Just one more. Maybe it's not uh, just one more. Maybe it's not your attitude in that way isn't taking up something. Maybe it's giving up on something or someone resigning yourself to the fact that is it. Dating, I'll give it one more shot, but I'm not really sure it's for me. Work things out with my brother, with my spouse, with that coworker. Okay, I'll, I'll give it one more shot, but then I'm cutting them loose. That's it. Give this just one more shot for my health. I'll try it, but I don't know if I have the strength. Church, I'll give it one more shot, but I don't really know if that's for me. Just one more. And it makes sense, right? It makes sense because we're all chasing after something. We're all pursuing something. We're all fishing for something, right? If you've ever felt that you've tried and tried and tried again, and you're down to your very last attempt, or maybe you hope for just one more, 
If you've stepped back and looked at your life and wondered, where is Jesus in all of this if he's even here? Well, then you know exactly how the disciples felt. John's gospel tells us that, yes, Jesus had risen from the dead. Yes, Jesus had appeared on two occasions and spoken with his disciples. And yes, they believed that he was risen. And yes, they did exactly what he told them to. They went to Galilee. But as you read through John chapter 20 and John chapter 21, and I want to encourage you to go home and read the rest of this chapter, you get the sense that there were some questions. Questions about the future, uncertainty about what's next. Yes, he's alive, but what does that mean? What does that mean for me? What does it mean for us? And so here's what we know. We know that seven of the disciples are gathered there. We know that Judas isn't with them any longer. We know that there's four more. And what we don't know, though, is where they went. Maybe they went back home to their families. Maybe the four other apostles were just seeing if they had jobs still waiting for them after their three-year internship with Jesus. We don't know. But what we know is that there's seven of them. And, and what we don't know is what they were doing. Maybe they're sitting around the table after dinner, swirling their empty glasses, sitting silently about what's next, about what the future holds for them as they sit here and wait. We do know this, though. Peter was not a thinker. Peter was a doer. And so Peter, he, he couldn't take the silent contemplation anymore. And Peter said, I'm going to go do what is comfortable, what I know, what I've, what I've grown up doing. Peter said, I'm going out to fish. I'm going out to, to be somewhere where, where there's some knowns, where, where I at least feel comfortable. And what we see is all the other apostles be very Peter-like. They didn't need any convincing. They didn't need their arms to be twisted, but they pushed away from the table, hopped up, and they said, we're with you, we're in, let's go. Even Thomas, the newly coined doubting Thomas, he wasn't a professional fisher like James and John and Peter. They said, I'm in, wait up, wait up for me. And so the night began, and it began like all the other traditional fishing nights out on the Sea of Galilee. You go out just after dinner, just after dusk. Peter, James, and John, they're, they're the pros, so they have at it. Peter grabs the oars, and big burly-chested Peter, he's out there rowing away. John takes the sail, sets it up, and James is teaching the other four, here's how you hold the rope, here's how you toss the nets in. The mild Mediterranean breeze, it's, it's warm even at night. And it's good. It's good to be out on the open water. They start telling stories, start laughing, start telling some fishing stories about how they know all the best spots on this lake. They know where they're going to go to just kill it, to bring in the big haul, which made it all the more frustrating when cast after cast, hour after hour, 
didn't catch anything. Nothing. They caught nothing all night. You can picture the sun start to come up over the Sea of Galilee. And John, he's the youngest among them, so he, he tries to be optimistic, but he's forcing it. He grabs the net. He looks at Peter. Just one more. Peter, sweating, takes off his outer cloak, sits down, and his body just slumps. His strength, it's sapped. No, it's not worth it. It's then, and it's then, you hear a voice from the shore, someone who got a sound night of sleep, someone who's a little too enthusiastic for this group of failed fishermen. Friends, haven't you caught anything? They could barely let out a grunt. No, no. And it's then you start to see what this story is all about. You start to see that it's when all of our best attempts have failed, when all of our skills are maxed out, when all of our tryhard has been knocked out of us, that it's not us. It's not, it's not us that's going to find the solution to the problems in our lives. It's not the just one more try by us, but it's him. It's him, in fact, that all of our problems find their ultimate solution in Christ who is for us. And it makes sense though, that we just, we try, right? We gotta try on our own, don't we? We know that we resolve none of our problems on our own resolve, and yet we give it the old college try, right? Because we want to believe it. We want to believe that we can set our, any, set, do anything we set our minds to. And so maybe it's just a little, just a little pickle we find ourselves in at, at work or at home. Or maybe it's life events that have us laid flat out on our back. But the reaction's the same. I can do this. Friends and family, they tell me, you got this. Just, just try one more time. Just, just give it your all. And so we do. And, and we even Christianize it, don't we? we? We even tell ourselves that, well, God helps those who help themselves. Here's the secret. Did you know 80% of Americans believe that that saying, God helps those who help themselves, they believe that's in the Bible? I have news for you. It's not in there, not the idea, not the words. And yet we tell ourselves that. We tell ourselves to Christianize the idea that I can do anything that I set my mind to. We even take God's beautiful, God's powerful gift of prayer and we use it. We use it to help ourselves. We take prayer where God says, cast all of your cares on me because I care for you. And what we do is we take our prayers and we cast them. We cast them out where, where we want answers. And we assume that if Jesus were here, if Jesus knew what I was going through, he'd give me this. 
Surely he'd do this. I'm not a fisherman. I think it'd be cool to be a fisherman. I've always enjoyed it. Always enjoyed it doing up north during the summers. But I'm not a fisherman. Very, very much a novice. This past summer, I got to go to a family get-together on my wife's side, and she has a cousin who is a professional fisherman. If I can explain it this way, in the past three years, this guy has won what is like the Super Bowl of the walleye tournament. He's won it twice. He knows what he's doing. So I was thrilled that one night after dinner, he and I were sitting next to each other, and I got to ask him. I got to ask him all about what he does and, and what, it's, what it's like to be a professional fisherman. And I'll be real with you guys. My questions are, because I wanted to know what's the difference between a hobbyist and a professional fisherman. I was impressed. There's so much skill. There's so much preparation. There's so much dedication. There, there is so much involved to, to win at the highest level of fishing. So can you imagine? Can you imagine if I'm out on the lake and I take my little rowboat out there and I'm, I'm fishing and how it usually goes, I'm, I'm catching absolutely nothing. So I'm just enjoying the experience, catching nothing. And can you imagine if my wife's cousin pulled up alongside of me in his big fancy fishing boat with all the equipment, all the uh, fish finders that basically tell you exactly where the fish is. I'm joking. All the experience and all the expertise that goes into being a professional fisherman. He said, Matt, don't cast there. There's no fish. And and don't use that lure because it's not going to work. Use this one and, and go over there. Can you imagine if I looked at him and said, no, dude, I got this. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'm good here. You'd laugh. And what's happening when we go fishing, when we, when we go pursuing, when we go searching for things in life, and we don't find what we're looking for? So often... We go fishing, we go fishing, we go looking for things. We cast our nets where there's no promises, there's no word from God, and we end up completely empty, and we wonder to ourselves in the exact same spot of the disciples, where's Jesus? Where is he in my life? Does he even exist at all? Does he even care? Well, let me just say, it's, it's, it's not a probability, it's a guarantee when when that's where you drop your nets, where there's no promise, where there's no word of God, that's going to be empty every time. But, but when you take your net and you drop it in his promises and, and you drop it where he is, things are different. Here's, here's what happened next. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. 
catch this, no pun intended. If you go fishing in places where there is no promise of God, where there is no word from God, and that's where you throw yourself, that's where you throw your net, well, then it's gonna come. The long night of trying and trying and trying again. And you're gonna spend your energy and your time until you hear the voice. Your voice say to you, you haven't caught anything, have you? And you're forced to say, no, nothing. But when, when you cast your nets, when you cast yourself where there is a word, where there is a promise from God, well, then, then you're ready. Then you're ready to receive everything that Christ gives you because when you're empty of yourself, you're ready to be filled by him. When you're low on yourself, you're ready to get high on him and his promises. And that is what he gives you here. If you leave with anything today, catch this. If you write anything down, take this and stick it in your pocket. He not only gives a command, he gives a promise. He tells them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat. And it wasn't a difference between this spot or that, between the right side or the left side. It wasn't just to go and show that I'm God and I have all the power in the world to bring schools of fishes together, although that was part of it. It was so that they knew who he was. He was the God who makes promises and keeps promises. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And they did. They brought in so many, they could barely bring in the haul. And John got it. John got it right away. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. And the fact that he used that name means something. He used the name of the covenant God, the God who makes and keeps promises. That's the name he said. And immediately, immediately when he said it, Peter knew. And in a moment, I want to unpack a little bit of what Peter does next, because it's pretty hilarious. But first, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that place where the disciples were, where you try and try and try again, and you're down to your last attempt, or maybe your last hope? And you wonder, where is Jesus? Where is he in all of this? Have you been there? Might I suggest you're fishing in the wrong spot. Might I suggest that you don't see Jesus because you're looking for the wrong Jesus. You're casting your nets, you're casting your hopes, your wishes, your dreams, you're fishing where there is no promise. And so it makes sense that we bring up nothing. We end up empty-handed. Might I suggest this, casting yourself casting your net where there is a word, where there is a promise, where there is 
a word from your Savior. Because when you do that, what I promise you is this, you're not only going to see Jesus, you're not only going to see that he is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, he is the Lamb of God who sits on the throne, he is the one who keeps all of his promises, but you're going to see he doesn't leave you empty-handed. He's filled your net. And that's why I want to encourage you to be like David. David is a middle schooler who goes to our church. David and his family have been going here for a couple of years now. But the first time I met David, he was a grade schooler at our very first science camp. At that science camp on that particular morning, I I shared this section of scripture with a group of kids between age four and fifth grade. And I kind of summarized the story for them. I I didn't read it word for word. I told them the story because I wanted them to know all about how Jesus rose from the dead and he provides everything that they need in life and in eternal life. And so I was kind of retelling the story and I was trying my best to ask questions, you know, to keep the kids engaged. And then I asked kind of a, a silly question. You know, I was getting excited. I said, hey kids, do you know exactly how many fish that the disciples caught? crickets. I was hoping for like a a lot, pastor. But because I asked for an exact amount, blank stares and silence. And then all of a sudden, about halfway towards the back on the left side, a head peeps out from behind someone and goes, 153. (laughs) David was right. (laughs) It was exactly 153. Later that day at camp, I I go up to David and what I wanted to say was, thanks for bailing me out, dude. But what I said is, David, that's awesome. How'd How'd you know that? How did you know that the disciples caught 153 fish? And that's when David looked at me like I asked a question sillier than the first. He said, Pastor, it's because I read my Bible. Wow. (laughs) Not all of us are going to be like David, (laughs) where we read our Bibles and we remember all of the details, like 153 fish. But I promise this, that all of us, when you look to Scripture, where Christ reveals himself to you, What you are going to see is promise after promise. What you are going to see is promise after promise made and kept by Christ. And what you're going to see is that our problems, they don't find their solution in one more try by us. But all of our problems find their ultimate solution in Christ who is for us and who is standing before us. That's what Peter saw. That's when it clicked. Peter heard John say, it is the Lord. And he remarked back and remembered back on three years of promises that he had heard Jesus made. And you want to know what Peter did? He cast himself to the Lord. The word jumped into the water. It's the same word used to describe what happens when you cast nets into the water. Peter cast himself to the Lord because he knew the promises that Jesus had given to him. Promises that he makes to you and me as well promises that I am the Lamb of God. 
I am the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world, and that includes your sins. My blood has purchased you back for God to be in a relationship with him. That I am the bread of life. I am the living water. You come to me, you fill yourself up with me. You are never going to be hungry. You are always going to be spiritually satisfied. The promise that says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. No, not even death can touch you. Promises where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. I'm gonna come back and take you to be with me. If it weren't so, I wouldn't tell you that. And here's another promise. Until then, I will be with you always. When you cast your net there, where there's no promise, where there's nothing from God, it makes sense that we're gonna end up with empty nets. But when you cast your promises there on the promise of God, promises that he's made to you again and again on the pages of scripture, he promises, you're not only gonna see me clearly, see that I am Christ for you, who stands by you, I filled you with everything that you could ever need. It's kind of like having a professional fisherman in the boat with you. It's kind of like having a professional fisherman right alongside of you, but infinitely better. Because it's not just a pro fisherman, it's Jesus. And he's not just giving you good advice about where you can catch more fish. He's giving you the good news. The really, really good news. That all of your problems, they're not going to be solved by just one more try by you. All of your problems find their ultimate solution in Christ, who is by you, who is for you. It ends this way. The other disciples, after Peter jumped into the water, cast himself for the Lord. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Did you catch that? There was already a fire there, already with fish, already with bread, already with breakfast. So the question remains, why then did Jesus tell them to get more fish? When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Why do you think? 
Why do you think Jesus already prepared everything for them, showed his disciples that it's all there, the bread, the fish, and yet still asked Peter to go count them up. Go get some more. It's because he wanted to teach Peter just one more lesson. He wanted to teach us a very important lesson. That when you throw yourself, cast yourself on the promises of Jesus, toss your line there, you're not going to find that he gives you less. But when you throw yourself on Jesus' promises, you're going to find that he gives you even more than you could possibly imagine or possibly need. Let's count them up. I want to end in this way. Just take a second and, and count the fish in your net. Count the amazing blessings that God has given you in your life. Count until you get to 153. One, I have never gone a day in my life without clothes on my back. Two, I have never gone hungry. Three, God has blessed me with a job where I'm able to provide for my family. Four, there's another one. I have a family who loves me and cares about me. Five, on top of that, I have a faith family who loves and cares for me. And when I'm despairing of my own efforts points me to the fact that Christ has done it all for me. And that leads me to have to start all over again because I really should have started there with one, that Christ is risen from the dead. And as the old hymn says, he lives to give my soul all I need. He lives to help me in time of need. That's what you have. And so count, count the fish in your net until you realize that Christ is standing there for you and before you and your problems aren't solved by another attempt by you. Count and count again until you despair of your own efforts and you get yourself out of this this slavery to your works, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you find the freedom in relying on Christ's work for you. Count again and again and again until by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are moved from this place of spiritual scarcity to a place of spiritual abundance. When you look and find that you have sufficiency in Christ, you have everything that you need in him. Count again and again and again until you see that when you're in a place where, where you got nothing, where you don't see Jesus working in your life, and you hear him tell you, just, just cast your net over there, right here, right here with me, you trust him because you see it is that easy for him to provide. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever been where the disciples were or if you know somebody who is, where they try and try and try again and again and again and they're down to their very last attempt or they're hoping for just one more. But if that's you, know this, that you have a savior, his name is Christ and he is for you. He says, my beloved, Come and have breakfast. Amen.